0: Good morning, church family. <laughs> Isn't it a great day today? Well, um, thank you so much for being here um, and celebrating this day with us. We're going to dive into a new sermon series. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible open. If you don't have your Bible, you can grab the ones that are right in front of you in the pews and uh, turn it open to page 2, Genesis chapter 2. So it's easy for everyone to get there, page 2, Genesis chapter 2. We're going to begin, as you've heard, a four-week series on something we're not very good at, the Sabbath. We can fill our time up and energy up with so many things, can't we? But this is the day, I'm here to tell you and remind you again, that the Lord is made. And as the psalmist says, I'm going to join him. Um, let's rejoice and be Glad in it right let 's take full pleasure and delight in all that God has crafted for this specific day for us as people who follow Him and as we think about the Sabbath, I just um, I want you to know that this is far more this series is about far more than just uh, the things I need to carve out of my hectic schedule or the things I might be able to offload on somebody else, but to understand more richly and fully the kind of rhythm God has called us to live into. Uh, first service, we were singing a song right at the end, and everyone's clapping. And I noticed this one person, I won't identify who they were, who was having a, a really awkward time, like getting the rhythm, like clapping along. And um, I, you know, I just chuckled to myself. And then I realized, you know what, that's, that's often me. Um, having a hard time with the rhythm of my life. And Sabbath, according to God's word, Is about our rhythm. It's about far more than the stuff or the stuff we're not doing, the stuff we are doing. But something that God wants to do and call us to. He wants to call us to a different kind of life so we might understand who He is in a better way. We might draw closer to Him. And as we draw closer to Him, He is doing something in us through that, through the Sabbath itself. I want us to think more deeply about the way that God has called us to live. And as we do, I just want you to relax. Like take right now, just take a breath. This is not about five more commands that God has got for you to fill up your schedule and list of things you do so that you might please him. That's not what Sabbath is about at all. It's actually to lay your rest down, lay your burdens down on him. So this is not going to be one of those like legalistic, another law to fulfill, a duty to obey, but rather I'm hoping that this will help you understand how God has called you into a place of rhythm in your life and to discover a huge blessing that God has for you as you think about the principles that God's word is teaching us. This morning we're going to lay a foundation for why the Sabbath is significant, just kind of walk you through the arc of scripture. And then in the next few weeks, we're going to dive deeper into some of the principles behind what God has for us, okay? So we're going um, to strap on uh, kind of our theology hat this morning, go through a biblical theology of why we do the Sabbath, and we'll start on page two, all right? So page one, if you're not familiar with this, is the creation account, and this is at the end of the creation account, Genesis chapter two, is the first few verses of Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. And it says this, this is the word of God to us, right? Him speaking so that we might know his heart for us. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So I just said Genesis 1 is the account, like the magnificent account of God crafting the cosmos. Just think about that. In six days, all that he accomplished. And Genesis 1 um, for some of us, we dive right into the weeds and have debates and dialogue about exactly how that happened, where the sixth day is literal, and we get into all these arguments, and we kind of miss the big arc, the big picture of what Genesis 1 is teaching us. And the meta narrative or the big picture of Genesis 1, reveals this all-powerful, stunningly purposeful, and creative God, who is the author and sustainer of all things. That's Genesis 1 and when the author is writing these words he's writing not so that we get into dialogue about the details so that's fine for us to do but he's trying to help us see that the point of the account is that not only we ha- do we have this sovereign creator but that his power and his artistry should take our breath away a god and what he accomplished and is still accomplishing sustaining the universe that should make us go oh, wow, right it should It should cause us his creator, his creative beings, to worship him and to say, "Oh wow isn 't my Lord great isn 't he such a creative God? And I so I walk outside and I expect sunshine, but instead I get these amazing clouds and I get rain in may right it 's all from the creative hand of God who's helping me understand who he is. And then at the end of six days, this stunning revelation of his greatness, he rests because he's got to take a nap. No, that's not actually what it says. Actually, he's not needing to take a nap because he's all powerful. So it must be teaching us something because he takes a day, a full day of rest. And we ought to be asking ourselves when we see these things in God's word, what, what actually is going on with that? What's happening? So what does the text tell us? On the seventh day, God finished his work, and he took a break from all of his work. And he, he didn't go back that next morning, the seventh day, and finish up a few details and say, oh, you know what? I got the, the Saturn rings just a little bit off kilter. I need to go back and finish that up, you know, a little work still. Or, oh, I forgot all about putting a house on top of a snail. So I need I to go do that, like, just finishing up. He didn't do that, right? And he also didn't, like, um, begin the day and take a little rest and then get back on his phone and do the rest of the things, the details he's got to get back to, so he, he uh, prepares the next week in front of him. The scripture says he actually took a full 24 hours, a full day of rest, God did. And he's doing it, as we know, purposefully to help create a model for his creation, for us to understand how to live life. In fact, on this first Sabbath, there's only one active thing that we have a record of that he did. Do you see it in the text? The text said that he blessed the day and he made it holy. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to bless a day? I believe that in some real way, God is setting aside time to focus his blessing and his goodness on the seventh day, on this Sabbath day that he has made. And in doing so, he's setting this principle in front of us. In the Bible, when God blesses a person, that person enjoys the provision of God. Their needs are taken care of. They're secure and provided for. And in fact, all the way through scripture, that's a message for us, for our hearts. Hey, Sheila, I have you, God says. Hey, Chris, I I have you. I want you to be secure in me and how I've made you. Rest in that. Know the goodness of that. So he blesses us. And when God blesses a land, the land becomes secure and fruitful. So when he blesses a day, when God blesses a day, that day becomes rich with his security, his provision, and his fruitfulness. That's what it means for God to bless the day. So what does it mean for God to make a day holy? Isn't that interesting? That word holy or sanctified is a day set apart for God's purposes. And there's actually in Scripture a couple things, interesting things that God is doing on this day. He's making the day holy, Scripture teaches us. <clears throat> and he's also making his children holy on this day. He set aside this day for your holiness. Did you know that? that that's, that's a purpose of the Sabbath, to make you holy, to draw you into his presence, to remind you of all his blessings, to help you step back and marvel at who he is, and in doing so, as you draw close to him, his holiness rubs off on you. He makes you right and good as you get close to him. That actually is clarified when the Lord says to Moses in Exodus, Above all, you should keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I make you holy. And this is a great message from Scripture that, I don't earn holiness. Like, I don't do all these things and God looks at me and says, wow, Jody, you're so impressive, right? He doesn't look at me and say, oh my goodness, all those great things you've just done, you've earned your salvation. But instead, we know the opposite is true. I am unrighteous, unholy, and God presents me with the gift of His holiness. And I receive that by faith, and in doing so, I become his child. And God does this work of holiness, giving me his holiness every week. In fact, every day, every moment I breathe. And every Sabbath is a reminder of this gift, of God doing this work of holiness. So we see Scripture teaching his people that this is a day for their holiness. And the truth is that it's God alone that is the source of our rightness, of our goodness. He is transforming us. So he's using this day to transform. So stick those two, his blessing and his holiness together. And it's, understand, and it's helpful for us to understand that he made this day as a source of his grace to us. Not as another law, another burden, like a thing to do. But a gift to us of grace. And he made it to purify us as we set our focus on him. The King James uses the word to hallow God Right? The holy God. And it focuses us on our understanding that this is a day where we put our attention on Him, on His goodness. and understanding that, you know that um, I can do and pursue all kinds of achievements in my life, I can work really hard. And actually, hard work is good. It's blessed by God. He worked six days, amazingly, creatively productive six days. And then this day is a day to step back and intentionally focus on him, this seventh day, to think about this. And it's significant that I don't think about my professional advancement or all the stuff I'm doing, but I understand on that seventh day all that God has done for me. The inversion of this is true. When you seek your blessing in God rather than the products of all your human effort and work, you intentionally make him holy and honor his holiness as the greater wealth in your life. The more significant wealth. So Genesis 2 tells us that God rests. He stands back. And he just savors the beauty of all the cosmos of his work. And he creates this pattern for us to step back and all the busyness of our schedule and to enjoy him and to get rhythm in our life, to have downtime, healthy time with just us and our relationship. And in a very real way, it helps us say, wow, he's the creator and everything, every blessing is from him. He's the founder of all my blessing in my life, that he made my very hands, he made my mind, he made all the animals and the raw materials and gave me breath and strength and thought and emotion and everything comes from him. And this is the day that I remember that. And that practice of thinking and Sabbathing and remembering him, it was reinforced in the giving of the law. And you'll find that in Exodus chapter 20. So that's where the, you find the Ten Commandments. So if you turn your scripture, your Bible open at Exodus chapter 20, this is what it says in the middle of the commands. And as Pastor Fred uh, mentioned earlier, this is one command that we, that's a lot of time is actually focused on. You just have one line that tells you don't murder, don't commit adultery. But when it comes to this focus, apparently we need a lot of reminders about it. So this is what it says in the Ten Commandments, starting in verse 8 of chapter 20 of Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Get it all done in six days. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. It's me remembering and giving a gift back to him, actually, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You Or your son and daughter. Apparently, some people have thought, yeah, I'm not going to, I'll take the day off, but I'll make my kids work, right? So, you or your son, don't do that. Your male servant, your female servant, don't make your livestock do any work. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And made it holy. He he set it apart and consecrated it for himself. Now, isn't it interesting that all the other commands in the Ten Commandments, they're moral absolutes? This one sets itself apart. It's a little bit different and distinct. It's talking about the rhythm of our life and what we need to be doing, how we need to be thinking about the Lord. And the reason we know this is a unique command is because in the New Testament, this is the one command that's not reinforced in the New Testament as a command. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't practice the Sabbath, because in a moment we'll see that. And as we go through their series, we're going to say, Oh, wow, look at how interesting that that Jesus um, thought about the Sabbath and practiced it himself in in a different way. But here, it's just interesting to note that. And it's not repeated in the New Testament because it was a covenantal sign. The Sabbath was for God and his people Israel. And as they practiced it, it was a sign that they were set apart for God in a different and unique way. So it's wrapped up in the covenant that God had. And the Lord gives his people reminder here in the law because they obviously needed it. And in the history of Israel, you'll see them continue to wrestle with it. In fact, in the course of mankind, from the very beginning when God gave this instruction, Genesis chapter 2, till today, everybody wrestles with keeping the Sabbath, right? Why is that? Why do we wrestle so much? And why have people, why have humans always struggled with this? Because we have our own selfish priorities, I think it comes down to that, of our time, the way we want to fill up our days, our moments. So mankind has always wrestled with us, always struggled, had attention tension with this particular way to, to fulfill what God is reminding us. And it's so easy to let this practice slip and to let other priorities drive our moments. Now think with me about kind of the historical development Of how Sabbath came. So it came first as God modeled it and instructed his people to step into that model. And then he gave the law, so there was a framework around the law. And then he talked about it being part of the covenant. And in fact, in Exodus, at the end of Exodus, it gives it some carrots and sticks that we're going to talk about like, this is do this and you'll get blessed, and don't do this and you're going to have a lot of problems. Um, But as it develops, Actually, there was a practice of worship. Like People didn't just rest on the day. It was set aside to draw near to the Lord and express our worship to him and to think about his word to us and meditate on his word. And as the day was practiced first by the Jews, that day became a day to honor and worship the Lord. And they even gave special offerings to him on that day in Numbers chapter 28. And worship became a priority for the day. And the psalmist actually wrote a psalm that God's people would rehearse on the Sabbath day. It's found in Psalm 92. And I want you to turn to Psalm 92. We've got a couple of our elders here. They're going to just lead us in reading it. So I'm going to ask Bobby and Paul to come on up. And there's mics right here, you guys. So grab a mic. And they're going to lead us as we think about Psalm 92, which people read as a reminder of God's goodness on this day. Thanks, guys.
1: It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, For behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured oil, fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my enemies' assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord, they flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Thanks, guys.
0: So they sang this song. I was going to have them sing. We probably should have had them sing, huh, right? <laughs> Paul, did you want to sing that one? You want to try that again? Just kidding. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> oh. So they sang it as a song, as a reminder, a worship expression of the faithfulness of God, how good he is, and and how his plan for his people is right. And those who disobey his plan will suffer the consequences. Those who follow him in his plan will experience blessing, the blessing of God on a day that's blessed. And Israel was called to observe the Sabbath in remembrance of this. And also in remembrance, according to Deuteronomy chapter 5, of God's deliverance from Egypt for them. So it was another sign of the covenant for them that God had established for them that they would understand God's blessing and His kindness to them, how faithful He had been all through their liberation and through their day even then. It was a sign of blessing. And the Lord knew that His people would struggle with it So he gave them um, a series of scriptures found in Isaiah where God said, I'm going to pour out my blessing. If you, Sabbath, if you take a step back and rest and remember me and enjoy me and catch the rhythm of how I've created you, then I'm going to bring blessing into your life. But God also knew that we need sticks, right? Some of you, you have parents who have been faithful to use that, hopefully in a good way, not literal sticks, but you know what I'm saying. And God actually stepped in in a somewhat surprising, even shocking way and said in Exodus, at the end of Exodus, and again in Numbers, listen: if you do not obey the Sabbath, then there's a consequence for that. And it's, ready for this? The death penalty. That's what, that's what Old Testament law was. If you disobey the Sabbath, you are liable to suffer the death penalty. That's That's pretty shocking, isn't it? Like how many of us are in favor of that today, right? That's pretty crazy when you think about it. So why was God so passionate about his people experiencing the Sabbath and stepping back? Why was it such a priority for him? By the way, that's that's Old Testament law. That's not New Testament wonder grace, so relax a bit, all right? Why was that? Because God knew his people would always struggle with this and needed a clear reminder and clear boundaries about the priority that we ought to set for Sabbath in our lives. It's almost like shocking, right? So we ought to be asking that question, God, why is it such a huge priority for you? Why is the Sabbath such a huge priority? Here's one reason why I think it is. First, we are intrinsically made, to Sabbath that's how God has hardwired you not to work seven days a week without a break that's not how God has created you and the second is God has created you for holiness he has intended for you to experience a life that is right and healthy and good and like him and that's a gift that he gives But when we separate ourselves from him and don't give him time or space or room for that to happen, then we suffer the consequences. I think that's why God was so passionate about us experiencing it. The New Testament provides a different kind of model, doesn't it? And when we think about the way that Jesus practiced the Sabbath, and he did, we understand that it wasn't about religious legalism. In fact, next week we're going to step into Matthew chapter 11, which is amazing, and chapter 12, which is a great statement about how God invites us into him and rest in a different kind of way than they were experiencing under the Old Testament law and how they had twisted Old Testament law to, to create a whole set of different legalistic rules and obligations that they have so the day was not a day of rest, it was a day of, of overwork, right, right? So Jesus is going to invite them into a different practice in the New Testament for them to think about. And in the early church, it's clear that this weekly day of rest and devotion, while it wasn't rejected, it was changed under a new covenant. They no longer lived under a, a covenant of law, but under grace. And the Sabbath was changed. The day was changed. We're not specifically sure exactly when, but it changed from Saturday to Sunday for some specific reasons. They the Christians, the early Christians started to call it the Lord's Day because they were celebrating the resurrection. Not just on Easter, but every Sunday was a, like a mini Easter Day. They all came together and they celebrated that the Lord is risen. He's risen indeed and, and they understood the power of his resurrection to give us new life and to give us his grace and for us to experience the blessing of God and so they they started celebrating it on Sunday. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we find Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of believers, and they're celebrating communion, just like we're about to do here in just a couple minutes. And as they celebrate communion, they're doing it on the first day. It says this in verse, Acts 20, verse 7, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, that is to take communion, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the morrow, and he, belo- and he prolonged his speech until midnight They had this long church service, right? Started in the morning, didn't get done until midnight. By the way, in just a minute, our beloved Pastor Fred is going to come, and he's going to lead a communion service that's going to last for several hours. And it's going to be good. We're just going to be able to relax. Don't worry about the rest of the things you're doing today. Just kidding. He's not going to take that. But we are going to take time and space to do that. So they started to celebrate it on a different day. There's another verse in the New Testament that speaks to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, Paul is trying to prepare the Corinthians for a collection that they're going to give to the, the poor believers who are struggling in Jerusalem with financial need, and they're taking this, uh, an offering up, and he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside to store it up that... He may prosper so that the contributions may not be made when I come. He's he's giving him instructions about taking an offering when they gather for worship. Their worship, um, part of their worship was to give this gift to support the, the church family. It's why we do offerings here to support the kingdom of God and to invest in that. And so they're doing this, they're having church on Sunday. But those are the only two explicit references in the New Testament that relate to the Sabbath being on Sunday. But the real reason that the church started to practice it on Sunday was because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Find that in John chapter 20. He rose from the dead on that day, and so they celebrated that great event by worshiping on that day. Just like the first creation was finished on the seventh day, the second great work of God, his resurrection, happened on the first day of the week. And so believers started to step into that, into that celebration on that day. Now, the New Testament emphasizes that this celebration of Sabbath has nothing to do with legalism. Like, don't think of this as another law, another duty, and Paul speaks about it, he warns us, and he warns believers in Colossians chapter two about that. He says, "Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or the Sabbath, the Sabbath day. things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. As believers, Christ has set us free. He set us free. And he's given us something better than the shadows, namely the pursuit of holiness and living in a relationship with God, and specifically, Jesus Christ. Think about um, the Old Testament and all those things in the, New, in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, right? There are festivals, there are feasts, there are specific events that happen that, that people would step into. And they were all the story of the Old Testament is pointing to people's need for Christ and who Christ was. So if we, took a, if we had a Bible study here and we we're all kind of interacting with this, we'd come up with this long list of things that point from the Old Testament to point to Jesus in the New Testament. Take, for example, what's happening when the people of God are struggling. They need to turn to God for his provision. And they're wandering around the wilderness. They have nothing to eat. And God gives them manna. Now, manna was not to be collected on the Sabbath because the people were supposed to remember that God is the provider. And Jesus uses that metaphor to help people understand who he is. And he tells them, I am the bread of life. He uses an imagery that they understood, those Jews, of manna and his provision of physical sustenance. And he says, yeah, that's me, actually. I'm the bread of life. And he he takes this metaphor for the Sabbath, and he changes it, Matthew 11, Matthew chapter 12, to say, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and you'll find rest. The rest you're seeking is found in relationship with me. You're going to strive and do all these other things to try to earn God's favor or try to impress people around you. Stop doing that. Find your rest and your contentment, your security in who I am, in me. So Jesus flushes out the full meaning of the Sabbath. I love what theologian Craig Bloomberg has said in regard to this. Rest in eternity for believers will be freedom from suffering and freedom from struggle. We'll have rest into eternity. That's that's good news, right? Rest in this life may not always be that. In fact, it might not often be that, but rather a sense of God's presence and guidance and support and empowerment and wisdom, even as all Hades breaks loose around here. Even as things are crazy around you, it's about finding your rest in God's presence and His guidance and His support and His empowerment of you. We rest in Him. We don't have to to fight, to protect ourselves because our security is found in him. We rest in him because he is the source of our longing. We take space in the rhythm of our days to remember his blessing and his goodness. That's what the Sabbath is about. Sabbath rest, it means operating out of the sense that I'm forgiven and I'm called to draw close to a holy God who loves me and accepts me and wants to gift me with His goodness and His blessing, and it's a gift that I need to be reminded of, like every week, all the time. So, um, how do we put this into into gear? Right, that's the question. How do you how do you put Sabbath into gear? Does that mean that I'm going to have to take every Sunday off? And what do I do with that? And I don't even know how to step forward with that. That's so crazy for me. Let me just give you a couple suggestions. First. Take a self-inventory on a time in your weekly schedule that you're reserving to draw near to God. What does that, what does that look like for you in your week? Um, I like every week to take my dog out for a run. Um, she's getting older now, so we'll go out. I don't take her along as long as we uh, had gone in the past, um, but we'll go like three or four miles, you know, and at the end, we'll come home, and she's like done. Like, she is... She'll sit down, and um, we have a sliding glass door. that looks out in her backyard, and she'll just like, you know, for hours, she'll just sit there. She's done, except if a squirrel comes into the backyard, <laughs> right? If a squirrel comes into the backyard, we've got this dog door, and she'll like pop up, and she'll and you run after that squirrel, even though she'll never catch it. But she's running after that squirrel, and then she'll drop down again. It's like, you know, like us, we get distracted. Squirrel, we'll see something and it distracts us. And that's exactly how we're like the Sabbath. Like, we'll we'll know that we need in our hearts and our minds to draw near to God. And yet, all these other things distract us from what's so important. Rest. That's what we really need. Rest in Him. Time, space to draw near to Him. So, take a little self-inventory not in a legalistic way, not beating over your, your head over, over how guilty or shameful this is that you're not doing it right, but just think about um, what would God call you into if this was a pattern in your life where you were experiencing Sabbath? And second, would you create space right now on your counter for just you and the Lord? Maybe you've brought your device with you, your phone with you, which could be a squirrel, by the way. Um, but you could... Mark it on your calendar and say, you know what? I can take this space, this hour of my day, and just step away. This hour of my week, or two hours of my week, and just dedicate it to draw near to the Lord where I can get a space away from a bunch of distractions that I always have. By the way, don't take your phone with you. Ooh, that'd be really hard, huh? Put that aside and step into a time where you can enjoy who God is and his blessing of your life and take nourishment in that. Take rest in him. That's how you're created to live. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for um, this pattern of life that you've given us. Thank you that uh, we're not pressed into it out of some sense of law or duty, but we have freedom under this covenant of grace we now live under. Uh, But Lord, help us to think about the importance, the significance of taking Sabbath space to draw near to you and what you do in those moments where you bless us, you remind us of your goodness and your blessings in our life and you refresh us and you actually make us holy like you in those spaces. So I pray, Lord, as we think about this that you would inspire us to follow you. Inspire us to step into spaces where we would draw closer to you. I pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has loved us, who has created us, and designed us for relationship with Him. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church sermon podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.